Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today we'll talk about two more people described in Martin Ebon's book, The Evidence of Life After Death. The first one is uh, Miss Susie Smith. Now she described herself as a cynical, agnostic newspaper columnist in Salt Lake City in 1955 when she first became aware of psychic, psychic phenomena. Now decades later, she would found the Survival Research Foundation in Tucson, Arizona for which Ebon served as chairman for some time. Now, her transmission from skeptic to believer came about as a result of her own experiences as a psychic. Like so many others, she published a book, Life is Forever, which contains an impressive collection of evidence given in seances and from out-of-body experiences. She authored The Book of James, which she felt had come to her from the discarnate spirit of William James, a pioneer of psychical research. Interestingly, she points out that Emanuel Swedenborg, whom we'll discuss in a future podcast, is also thought to have gotten material from James. And years later, Jane Roberts, whom we'll also discuss in the future, tapped into what she called the after-death journal of William James. Now, in her book, Confessions of a Psychic, Susie Smith relates many unpleasant and dangerous experiences that she had with bad spirits. And she advises against psychic dabbling, though that problem seems to have subsequently been solved by many neophytes through the use of positive affirmations. Now, what is most significant about Susie Smith for our purposes, though, is her straightforward method of dealing with the question of proof of survival after death. She acknowledges the difficulty of ever proving survival via science, but points out that the rational materialistic scientist is fearful of making a fool of himself. If, when he dies, there's nothing there. How silly that is, she says, because if nothing is there, he won't know it anyhow. Why not have rosy expectations, she asks, and be joyfully surprised when they come true? If you knew that someday, she said, in the not-too-distant future, you were going to go someplace for the rest of your life, wouldn't you want to learn as much as possible about it? And wouldn't you want to prepare in every way possible so you could enjoy your stay? The more we know about death, she says, the more we'll be aware of how to live now, in order that we'll be all the more successful on the other side. On the subject of negative events in life, Those speaking through her, she says, um, point out that anything we can learn in physical life will not have to be undergone at some future date. The seemingly unfortunate things that occur here and now are really opportunities, so that what happens to us does not count as much as what we learn from the experience. The more character we have when we die, she maintains, the better our experience when we find ourselves still living after death. Well, shades of Betty White there. Now that's a helpful perspective for dealing with troubles. 
so long as you, you remember that it's not the only way to make progress or develop character. A life lived amidst abundance and joy can also be a source of growth. So suffering is not necessary. Now, all told, Susie Smith uh, authored 30 books. In uh, The Afterlife Codes, written at age 88, she, re she reviewed her life and some of the input she received from her mother and from William James, which supports the general understanding of life after death that we're talking about here. She also introduces us to the afterlife codes, a system she set up for proving scientifically that the personality survives death. She and others are leaving a secret message, also called a key phrase, sealed in an envelope and put in a safe deposit vault. After they die, they will attempt to send the message back through a medium or psychic. Now, the idea is if a key phrase is revealed, it's a very good indication of the survival of the spirit. They've got the system computerized, and large numbers of people have registered their secret messages. <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm personally pleased that she did this. It can only help. However, I have a different intent. I urge all of us for whom life after death is logical and apparent to ignore the skeptics because it is a waste of time. They will likely never be convinced. They have too much invested in not believing. Better to focus our energies instead on using the accumulated wisdom from the other side as a basis for daily living, and in the process enjoy the fantastic benefits that are sure to come our way. Now the second person we'll talk about is Douglas Johnson. He served in the Royal Air Force during World War II and afterward became one of the world's best-known mediums, working with researchers in England and the United States. Ebon described him as erudite and soft-spoken, and considered him particularly significant because never was there the slightest suggestion of possible fraud associated with his name. He's also noteworthy because he was not only a channel for entities from the other side, but he also saw and heard them when he was not in trance. One particular example shared by Ebon is noteworthy. Apparently, Johnson was sitting in a London bar with a friend, drinking sherry and talking quietly, when he noticed, uh, noticed a West Indian man standing at the bar. And next to him, there was an older woman wearing the native dress of a typical West Indian village. Now, there were several hundred thousand West Indians in England at the time, but nearly all of them wore European clothes. Johnson was puzzled and remarked to his friend that it was, it was strange to see a woman in native dress. The friend turned to look at the bar and replied in an equally puzzled manner that he did not see the woman, only a West Indian gentleman in a sport jacket. Uh, knowing something of Johnson's unusual talents, though, he suggested that he go talk to the woman. As Johnson approached the bar, the woman disappeared. Trying to get his bearings, he invited the West Indian gentleman to take his drink and join them at their table. Well, the man looked surprised, but he agreed, and as soon as he sat down, the woman reappeared. Now, her voice went directly into Johnson's mind, as he tells it, saying, This is my son. He is going to do something foolish tonight. Stop him. 
Knowing the man might think him crazy, Johnson nevertheless addressed him directly and said, Your mother just told me you're going to do something very foolish tonight and you're not to do it. Now the, the man was shocked and immediately replied that it could not be his mother because she was dead. Johnson replied by following the instruction of the woman's voice, who told Johnson, Tell him that I was blind from birth and that I can see again in the spirit world. Well, this, this convinced the young man. <clears throat> he was quite shaken, and he said, This must be mother. Tell her I won't do it. The three men became quite friendly, and eventually the man told Johnson that he had planned to act as lookout that night for a bank robbery. About a week later, he reported to Johnson that everyone who had participated in the robbery had been caught. Now, Johnson, quoted in Psychic Magazine in 1971, stated he regarded the incident as a direct intervention from the next world from a woman who loved her son and wanted to protect him from harm. Uh, again, skeptical science, of course, uh, would maintain that Johnson telepathically picked up the sub subconscious worry of the son, conflict with the strip, strict upbringing of his mother's discipline, the visual image of the man's memory of his mother, and the fact that she'd been born blind. Well, you may choose to believe any explanation you wish, but between the two, Johnson's seems more logical and straightforward to me. Now, in our next session, we'll look at uh, two more psychic personalities uh, mentioned in Ebon's book, and one of them is the great Houdini. Once again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.